This is Southeast Asia Crossroads, an educational podcast from the Center for Southeast Asian Studies at Northern Illinois University. From music to maps, money and modernity, this is where ideas come to life. Hello and welcome to another edition of Southeast Asia Crossroads. Uh, I'm your host Eric Jones, and uh, with me in studio, I've got a few. I uh, got a few great guests. Um, sort of helping me to hold down co-hosting duties is uh, Isabel Izzy Squires. Welcome. Hello. Now this is this is not your this is not your initial appearance, right? You've been. This is my third time on yeah, the podcast. Right? You've we've been so an old vet of the of the of the podcast. Um, and, uh, we were, we're going to lean on your sort of fresh eyes, uh, and I think more youthful than us, uh, uh, on the, on the topic at hand. Uh, so, uh, no pressure is he, um, but also of course is, uh, um, Dr. Eric Honstadt. Um, welcome. Oh, thank you. Eric, Eric, I'm Eric James. <laughs> We're, uh, <laughs> that's right. The dueling Eric's here in the, uh, uh, it's a, it's a great name. And, uh, we, uh, we're excited. He's a, um, uh, a professor at associate professor at Notre Dame in, in the department of anthropology and, uh, have a, you have a pretty, ex- really fascinating wide ranging, um, that stems from sort of core Southeast Asia, including a new, some new stuff on, uh, Thailand and policing that we want to definitely hear about. Maybe, maybe some plugs at the end. Um, but also even, uh, starting with, uh, Ojibwe. Um, yeah. that's really interesting. How did you get into that? Yeah. Anishinaabe Ojibwe, uh, through university of Minnesota. I started, you know, undergrad as a psych major and then eventually found anthro and, and, um, had an opportunity to take either advanced German at the writing level or just starting over from learning, uh, you know, the opportunity to learn Minnesota dialect Ojibwe uh, from native wow. speakers there. So went, went with, went with that route and it was amazing. Did they have a, uh, um, like a, an immersion kind of program or how did they, uh, or was it like normal classroom setting? Or? Yeah, it was just um, kind of um, semester by semester, uh, not an intensive language, but taught by native speakers. Um, and uh, also had Lakota, uh, but I, you know, you could take one or the other. Yeah. And so I went with, with Ojibwe and um, yeah, it was a really amazing experience. A um, lot of, a lot of great activity up in uh, U of M. Go Gophers. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, um, yeah. And, and, and it seems like Minnesota is, uh, it's becoming a real, uh, I mean, it ha- all it has been, but leaning into, you know, Asian studies and there's, a, you know, the diverse, some of the diverse immigrant populations there. See, you wouldn't, you wouldn't expect it, but Minnesota is a real place where, you know, thinking about, um, you know, cultural diversity and is, is, is kind of becoming some of their ethos. Am I wrong about that? Seems like No, not at all. And that was the first experience that I had as a Wisconsinite um, with Thai food you know, with uh, that was the entry point, Muay Thai, kickboxing, and Thai food. Oh, nice. Uh, never looked back. And the same way with uh, my first Pha Doc Biet, <laughs> you know. So really good uh, Vietnamese-American population uh, in Minnesota, too. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I was able to, to interact um, through that, through martial arts and, and language. And Well, that was going to be my next kind of, it's one fun thing about the, like, the interview like this is you can take people a bit behind the music. So how, so how did you get into, uh, um, how did you get into Southeast Asian studies? Uh, yeah, literally it was, uh, through martial arts, you know, I, um, saw a workshop on, uh, Filipino martial arts in Oshkosh, Wisconsin, the <laughs> land of my people. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. but you know, was amazed by, um, a, f- a father and son doing what's called a Sinawali drill with uh, live machetes. Uh, which is a pretty simple yeah. training technique, but done with live machetes produces sparks. And uh, I was hooked. And so in Minnesota, I was able to uh, go to the uh, Minnesota. Train with them? Yeah, Minnesota yeah. Kali group, which does Muay Thai and Filipino uh, martial arts, Silat from Indonesia and Malaysia. Yeah. And that was great. So for me, the intro was martial arts, uh, Muay Thai in particular, but then also that great Thai food. <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, I uh, I sort of joke with colleagues who maybe study, like, let's just say regions of the world that have um, worse weather and worse food. I'm <laughs> like, it's not it's not my fault that you know they didn't make better choices about <laughs> the incredible uh, uh, the incredible weather or food or people that uh, that we did. And so, so you did you go to Thailand to, 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 to study Muay Thai, like I know a lot of uh, folks do. Yes. You know, I started with the idea that I would do a project on Muay Thai uh, at the time, probably. Kind of in an academic. Yeah. Like to yep. practice it and yep. also. Participant observation, yeah. Yeah. go yeah. to a camp. And um, luckily, I think uh, there was a, a Cornell PhD, uh, Peter Vale, just basically finishing. Um, so I was like, well, how many, how many of, there, of us can there be? You know, so um, made the decision and through Tongchai's classes to get into oh, okay. Thai police history, Thai police in general, and and moved there that way. But yeah, the um, initial impetus was to study Muay Thai and do a participant observation project. But I ended up studying at a at a few uh, few Muay Thai camps uh, in Bangkok and Chiang Mai, but not as a site of research. Yeah, it's going to be interesting if you think of like the the people that sort of a lot of the people that trained. Our generation, um, the the Viet- second end of China War, Vietnam was a was a huge inspiration. The other, the that they either resisted or some mm-hmm. participated in, or but it but it it uh, you know the first time they heard about Cambodia was mm-hmm. Kent State, or there's a you know it, it defined and um, I think what's interesting for um, you know younger scholars is that there's there's a whole variety of ways that they they intersect. Uh, it might be through the overseas community, uh, through you know food ways that mm-hmm. uh, didn't exist when I grew up in Wyoming. There was no there were no <laughs> Thai restaurants. There's now there's now in my hometown of five thousand years a place called Wai Thai, Wyoming Thai. Like <laughs> and it's you know, like Thai family ends up there like open up a restaurant and everyone's like uh, amazed at how good it is. I'm like yeah, this is what I've been talking about. You it's guys. a great name. <laughs> yeah right. Uh, uh, although they're, they're poor, I feel, I feel sorry for them in the winters. Uh, same with Cornell. I always feel sorry for the Southeast Asians who were there. Like, it's like, it's like uh, long way from Isan. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, and, uh, and, uh, I guess more specifically, uh, you know, a, a subject that, um, um, I'm, that I'm interested in and, you know, uh, in particular, uh, uh, your deep dive into uh, apocalypse now and sort of thinking about it as a, as a sort of uh, a metaphor, a touch point for sort of waterways. And uh, let's uh, let's your title was I thought was great. Charlie don't surf uh, conflict and uh, confluences of water life worlds in Southeast Asia. That I'm I'm, I'm sad I didn't come with that title first. That's a good one. Uh, <laughs> that's a line from the movie Isabel. I, I saw in the talk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of mad. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm slightly angry that, uh, that, uh, uh, that Izzy hasn't seen, um, you know, kind of my old man energy here. Like, I can't believe that uh, um, we had, but that, that's part of, part of the reason to, to, to have you here. But uh, so you, but you got it from the talk, Charlie. Charlie don't start. Yes, I, I got that from the talk. <laughs> okay, good, good. Uh, Shouldn't be upsetting. It's an opportunity. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. You're introducing um, me to something new. <laughs> okay, perfect, perfect. Uh, yeah, go home. That's your assignment. Go home and watch that right away. Um, so how did uh, uh, I mean we can geek out a little bit? Um, when did you first see it? Did you think right away like, wow, this is something I want to, you know, is in the back of my mind that is evocative constantly or. Like, uh, you know, I mean, there's, I guess, a lot of entree points for this in, uh, um, in people's imagination of, it's such, a, it's such an epic film, but how did it start for you? Probably when I was 15 or 16, seeing it for the first time, and I, I recall um, falling asleep a lot during the end scenes, any of the Kurt stuff, just Kurt's <laughs> droning, you know, reading, yeah, yeah. reading The Hollow Men, you know, uh, just <laughs> riffing and doing improv. Uh, but yeah, it was definitely affected, but the, the origin of the whole um, talk is from a class that I started as a, a Southeast Asian intro course retitled ah. as Charlie Don't Surf um, for, you know, undergraduate, int- ma- maximum undergraduate interest Yeah, that then turned yep. into kind of through line for the class where I started just using Apocalypse Now, uh, you know, very regularly in class material mm. and to the point where really got into the, you know, colonial technology of surfing and the elemental aspects of the I Ching and all these other other parts of it that 
really has a lot of application uh, beyond just uh, film studies, as it were. So, um, I guess for give us a give us a framework for uh, for someone as 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 <laughs> unbelievable as it is as someone who hasn't seen the movie, but uh, what what uh, um, uh, I guess just a flyover of of apoc- of apocalypse now. What it as a a thumbnail sketch of what it what it what its storyline. Well, some people some people say it's the best uh, war film of all time. Uh, it's uh, regularly listed as one of the best films of all time. Uh, basically, it's um at the core, it's a a story of the killing of the king, uh, as told by James Frazier, uh, in mythical sources of renewal. But in terms of the plot, it's a detective story of a. Uh, uh, person who is assigned with the assassination of a U.S. Army colonel who's gone rogue and has become, uh, in the description of his handlers, uh, former handlers, as um, you know, being worshipped like a god out in the uh, up, uplands of, of Cambodia and eventually um, is uh, kind of willing, a willing sacrifice in his own assassination. And it's, in the end, uh, a th- a a coming to terms, a reckoning with the American War itself, or or the Vietnam War as as an experience, and has become a, a stand-in for what Vietnam War was or is, which is pretty pretty impressive for a film. Yeah, right, and and of course it implied that the the American War in Vietnam is the is the backdrop for the sort of the um, entire film in terms of taking place in it, and with uh, sort of these um, kind of. Uh, vignettes that r- range from sort of like sort of uh gritty you know kind of realistic um kind of battle scenes to to dreamlike uso um kind of sequences mm-hmm. and uh yeah right it, it it it's a it's a it's hard it's it, it does a lot of things in in the film but the, the obviously the war is the um uh for the background and and the uh the, and this kind of famous image, and you know, uh, you know, also uh, uh, another podcast that I'm part of, Napalm in the Morning. Mm-hmm. Our the title of that podcast comes from really this almost the same scene that you mm-hmm. that you reference here. Um, Charlie don't Charlie don't surf. So mm-hmm. um, uh, maybe paint paint a word picture of of this kind of this this epic image in in Apocalypse Now. The the line or the Napalm in the Morning scene. Yeah. The the Charlie Don't Surf or the Napalm in the Morning line? We'll do Charlie Don't Surf. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. Um, Willard is interested in, in uh, fulfilling his mission of killing, uh, killing Kurtz at the behest of intelligence handlers in Nachang. And um, he is uh, trying to get a colonel in uh, the air cav to support his mission to bring him into the stand-in for the Mekong River, which is the Nung River in the film. And so what he uses to do that is recruitment based on the, the colonel's interest in surfing, uh, which the colonel describes as beach break. Uh, and so when a, a surfing devotee and his crew uh, asserts that there's a point with um, deliverable left and right breaks on, in uh, tube formation, he becomes right. very interested in this point, even though it's described as, as Charlie's point. And so... Um, creates an impromptu invasion, a, a, a kind of colonial Viet, uh, military invasion of this point for the purposes of using it for surfing. And so uh, that idea of Charlie Don't Surf is is the reason to take that point. And what's interesting is Willard um, has a, a, a line in that scene just before the, the line, Charlie Don't Surf, that there's an offshore breeze coming in the morning, which ind- indicates that Willard knows something about surfing and knows the creation of tube waves through the offshore breezes. It's a weird throwaway line that it's like suggests something about Willard that isn't otherwise revealed that he might be a surfer as well. Or at right, least, like, and you realize like is is everyone is Robert, <laughs> did everyone like surf in this movie? Like it's the yeah. And the 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 screenwriter of the film, John Milius, who wrote um, Big Wednesday, a lot of uh, other surfing films, but also films like Red Dawn. Uh, the original Red Dawn. He wrote Red Dawn. Mm-hmm. Uh, what a what a what a. Have you seen Red Dawn? Is he? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> that 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 that's a. I I show parts of that film in a world because it's so it's such an an amazing sort of artifact of the Cold War. Like, and it has Charlie Sheen, uh, uh, Martin Sheen's son. So Willard is played by Martin Sheen. So yeah. Charlie Sheen, his more infamous son, 
and Patrick Swayze as Charlie Sheen's brother in Red Dawn. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The whole Rat Pack. But but Milius was a surfer, and so originally the the title of the film was called Psychedelic Soldier, and so that um, leads to a lot of those scenes of the the the, the title of Apocalypse Now yep. was Psychedelic. The original the original script was Psychedelic Soldier, and the idea was to um, talk about Vietnam as a Californian war, according to Milius. So. For him, it was it was the movement of California culture and the imposition of it onto Vietnam and the and the Vietnam uh, or the American effort more broadly, and that includes technology, but also just cultural imposition. Yeah, so so Milius's obsession with surfing is just carried over, and the more I saw from the class of just like, what is this about Yater surfboards that we're talking about? I didn't know what a Yater surfboard was. He says, "Bring me my Yater spoon, the eight six. And it's a particular nose sur- nose riding surfboard that uh, doesn't pick up in the wave, so it's it kind of keeps its nose down, and it's a tall uh, longboard. But the idea is to have this technology that's brought uh, to the war, and and um, you know, uh, Kilgore is a is a devotee as much of surfing as he is of of the Yater surf shop in San uh, in Santa Barbara. So it's just this interesting little. Super local, you know, super kind of yeah, technological approach to surfing that's just throughout that film. Yeah, right. And one of the sort of you know many kind of you know weird and beautiful flourishes that you know uh, whimsic whimsy and in in the midst of this kind of kind of brilliant writing that uh, that informs that film. Um, what one and and obviously a metaphor in, in that you or a uh, I guess a, an homage in the in the film, and then and then the reality in Southeast Asia of sort of water and waterways plays a big um, role in 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 how you're and how you think about the film and how like um, what ways does the um, I guess the film tap into some of those truths about um, uh, water and its function in in Southeast Asia. It's if you think about the element of water throughout the film, you, it's just an ever-present um, symbol, and the you know there's there's a lot of mythological sources in in the film, particularly uh, for the Kilgore character, the Odyssey, and he's the Cyclops, followed by you know the the Playboy bunnies are the sirens, and very deliberately so by the Milius script. That's one of the mythological sources where they point to these water-based elements, where Kilgore as the Cyclops has this uh, also an outtake scene that became part of the redux where uh, Willard steals Kilgore's surfboard, which is emblazoned with the U.S. Cavalry insignia. And so there's a, a whole set of scenes where Willard is taking this surfboard upriver as well, and Kilgore is, tra- is chasing him with his crew of air cav helicopters for the surfboard. So it's like this mythological uh, you know, rescue mission or an attempt to regain this uh, technology of the surfboard. And that's just sort of the on-the-surface level. If you look at the intro scene, Willard is in a hotel in Saigon, and uh, booze becomes the element of, of soaking or water that is uh, followed by a scene where his hungover body is stuck in a shower by these two army handlers, and he's given this baptism uh, before he's taken um, to the coastal site in a trying to have these um, intelligence briefing. So it's like, if you look at that scene uh, in the hotel room as uh, the alcohol-soaked, you know, kind of baptism, followed by a baptism scene, it starts there, you know, and then it ends there with Willard emerging from river water before killing Kurtz, and the, the river water ends up becoming another baptism and transformation moment. So those two bookend scenes where you have the kind of fall from grace through the the um the scene that's actually on tra- uh Martin Sheen's birthday when it's uh oh. direct filming of that that um being Him coming out of the water or the or being being uh in the hotel room oh, in no, Saigon no, no. where he's just he's bloody he's doing I, the I martial had heard, arts I had and, heard I had heard right that that like he was mm-hmm. actually um like they were kind of or drunk or high or like they just kept film and and he was also injured punching the like like they they just kept the camera rolling in a way that they might not today. Like, is that, is that true? Yeah, this is all in the documentary Hearts of Darkness, which is like a companion piece to the film. It's like you watch those in together. You watch the, um, the, the cinematic release and then Hearts of Darkness documentary. And 
and uh, Martin Sheen is on his birthday and is um, drunk in a hotel room. And the in, the instruction from the director, uh, Francis Ford Coppola, is to look at himself in a mirror and do these kind of martial arts moves. Um, and then the yeah. instruction from uh, from Coppola is to look how beautiful you are. And and Sheen gets very distraught. It's actually yeah his birthday. He's he's grappling with a kind of uh, mental breakdown. And he, he's punching at the mirror, but ends up punching the mirror in real life and cutting his hand and bleeding all over himself. And he's uh, completely naked and drunk. And this is all in the film. And you see this um, absolutely uh, destroyed character. Um, and he's just absolutely at his uh, wit's end. And yeah, that was all captured in, in real life that ends up com- uh, commuting to the character quite readily. And, and yeah, Scorsese and ultimately... Martin Sheen was okay with including that, but yeah, that's, um, you know, real, uh, real blood and real pain that you see <laughs> right there. And then subsequently, Char- uh, Martin Sheen was able to, uh, learn how to swim later on R and R in Phil in the Philippines and, uh, recovered. He was, he was drastically underweight, but he was able to regain strength and also just learn how to swim, which is kind of emblematic of these water themes in the film. Yeah, it's, it's fun. It's, it's hard to imagine, like, thinking about the scenes in that film, like, that he didn't know how to swim, like, it's, like <laughs> just from an insurance standpoint alone, like, good Lord, like, that was risky. When was this made? So, 1976. It came out in 79, and it was uh, notoriously Im- uh, impossible It was, like, over-budget and yep. over-schedule, like, yeah. Yeah, years of filming uh, and the, the typhoon that destroyed many of these sets. So uh, the, the Hearts of Darkness documentary really shows that struggle, how the, the film itself became, um, you know, a, a playing out of the Vietnam War in, in verse and through its simulation became this struggle and this uh, warlike enterprise to create this epic film. Yeah, and it, and it, um, and, and I think it, it becomes, it, it's so, it's so, it's so cinematic, but then also so its proximity to, the end of the sort of American presence in Vietnam, like puts it, puts a pin in it as, you know, again, this both a, a cultural touchstone and then like a historical sort of moment of that, like, I don't know, maybe 2001 or something as like as, as uh, um, in, you know, in a way that that is a leap forward and obelisk, you know, in, 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 in that famous film, like this in, in many ways was, I think, um, it 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 hold it not only holds up but um, you know for any any aspiring ambitious filmmaker you know a lot of them are playing catch up with a film <laughs> like this you know is what they're trying to yeah. at least you're mentioning a film I have seen now two thousand one yes hey <laughs> all right. <laughs> Where's my ding ding? Yeah, well, we, <laughs> you know, if you play uh, Apocalypse Now below or to the side of of 2001 simultaneously, very interesting things happen. If you think about I, 2001, are you, are you, are you kidding? Yes. Is it like a like like a like a Wizard of Oz, <laughs> Dark Side of the Moon? Absol- absolutely. Uh, if you so think you about have them on simultaneously. Yep, simultaneously. If you think about 2001 as representing the element air or heaven, and then Apocalypse Now is representing uh, uh, water or earth yeah. through the jungle. You have the you have heaven above uh, air or heaven above water, which Kurtz talks about in the end. He says, "Where did you grow up, Willard?" He's like, "Well, somewhere near the Ohio River, sir." And they talk about the Ohio River as a central river, and then he says, "It was as if uh, it, I was surrounded by gardenias. It's as if heaven came to earth in the form of gardenias." So he's even referencing the 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 hexagram for heaven over earth, which is yeah, two thousand one over Apocalypse Now, as far as I've seen. Which the record would play backwards during this? Yeah, yeah. What would you put on as a score? <laughs> I would go with the Thai band, uh, the the Pleng Chi Wit, uh Thai band uh, Carabao, uh, which is ah, water yes. water buffalo. So you yeah. go with the greatest hits that is ideally two hours in length to match, and uh, that that'll get you there. It sounds like Izzy, you've got yourself the recipe for a Southeast Asia student uh, club um, activity. Um, <laughs> yes, I'm not it. telling you guys how much you should drink or otherwise uh, imbibe, but uh, I, I feel like that that would help that experience of 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 magical transportation. Um, yeah, pitch that to the uh, pitch that to the uh, to the officers there at the club. 
if you think about the spaceship in 2001 as an analog for the PBR um, Erebus uh, ship, the, the, the boat, the PBR boat and the spaceship in 2001, those are the two kind of vessels of the movies yeah. that, that are matching up. Uh, one of, uh, of of a myriad of, of sources that match up between the two films. Did it, is, is this on the, like the internet? Like people say, like if you start it at the exact because I know like the Wizard of Oz, you have to be very particular about when the lion roars. Then you start like roar. it's the second roar. Yeah, okay. Uh, it's, sec- it's very key. That's the second. It all matches up, but the second roar is okay. where the magic happens. But with yeah. with Apocalypse Now, because because Izzy's definitely going to have to you know replicate this. So we'll. Um, Maybe do a, do two tutorials. Yeah, you want to start at the two production logos. Okay. Uh, yeah, you see the two studio logos simultaneously. Yeah, yeah, I like I like this as a uh, as a it's a a far out assignment for a far out um, <laughs> film for sure. Uh, the um, so so one interesting thing is that uh, you know you pick a movie you know like Star Wars or whatever that 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 the the authors and directors are bringing these sort of classic kind of, um, you know, Golden Bow and and mm-hmm. uh, and other sort of um, kind of um, you know kind of m- mythic hero journey type stuff to um, to their script, and they have relatively slight knowledge of of the places they're writing about. More 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 of it is sort of metaphorically, you know, informed by. Those ideas, but interestingly, it 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 crosses some paths, some some pretty fascinating paths with um with with realities in Southeast Asia, with with geography, with water, and the, I mean, maybe say a bit about some of those kind of interesting points you brought up about how those um how um whether they knew it or not, mm-hmm. right when they were when they were writing and making mm-hmm. this, like the, it it it's tapping into some things mm-hmm. that are that are realities in Southeast Asia. Yeah, one of the original sources is Hearts of Darkness, the the Conrad uh, colonial epic of where the Congo River is the Mekong. Yeah. And so that's yeah. sort of one of the main touchstones and there's a lot of repeated so characters. So it's, it's anchored in a reality mm-hmm. that uh, And so like Marlowe, like yeah, Willard is Marlowe and and um uh, Chief Helmsman Phillips is is has key dialogue that shows up in Hearts of Darkness and he's killed by a spear and that's all out of the Hearts of Darkness part. But yeah, the um, the mythological sources are are very broad. Everything from the Odyssey to the Golden Bough, the Bible, um, from ritual to romance, which is uh, Weston's account basically of the Grail myth. Um, so there's those sources. But then yeah, within Southeast Asia, a lot of it comes right out of um, this interface with um, Southeast Asian rivers and the war in terms of surfing. Um, the the one slide you might be referring to is this reversal of Vietnam's coastline with the uh, inverted California coastline, which apparently Vietnam wore uh, surf clubs, you know, in Da Nang and elsewhere uh, would reference as, you know, particular surf spots as kind of being uh, analogous to spots in California. And again, this is all Milius's transposition of California culture into Vietnam, which he thought that's what's going on in Vietnam is it's a, a Californication of, of Vietnam uh, in many ways. So yeah, those, but those mythological sources are, are referenced directly in a, a scene with uh, Kurtz's library, which shows his volumes and he's reading from uh, the hollow men, the, the Eliot poem, which is about this renewal cycle, the, the killing of the King, the, the grail mythos and the, the broader uh, mythos from the Aeneid uh, of the uh, the golden bow of the replacement of the king with the king's willing assassin that produces this renewal of the social order. Those are the key sources. And the and the and the film is is you know it, even if you if you don't know anything it's so evocative and it it you know if you're traveling in Southeast Asia you know you see it playing at <laughs> at every other youth hostel. It's it's there are bars that are named. Uh, uh, locations that are that that mm-hmm. that borrow from the right. It's kind of it has it leaves its own interesting like sort of re <laughs> reappropriation. Yeah, um, the, there's Hearts of Darkness in Phnom Penh, a dance club. There, I don't, I'm not sure if it's around anymore. There's um um Apocalypse Now in uh, Ho Chi Minh City, I believe. Uh, yeah. and then beyond that, just the American experience or the tourist experience in Southeast Asia is filtered through this film. I've seen. Everything from at Coochie Tunnels uh, in Vietnam, German uh, tourist 
shooting M60s, uh, yelling lines from the film, uh, or, you know, in another film uh, that Izzy might have seen, The Beach with Leo, uh, another kind of popular tourist film in, in Thailand because it features uh, kind of southern Thai islands. It's through a, a book by Alex Garland. The whole thing is that that, that, that movie is a guilty pleasure. It is. Oh, like, it's great. It's because it's because like, you know, if you've backpacked through Southeast, you know those people, <laughs> right? You yeah. know, yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's a, and and his experience. It's like they really and the the book that it's based on really captures this as well. Is that um, masculinity of this of this time is really has has its basis in Apocalypse Now. It's like what the Leo character is doing is kind of wants to create his own military adventure in the style of Apocalypse Now. So he's imagining himself in the role of Willard, in the role of a kind of jungle assassin filtered through all these scenes in the film. And it's like, that is how um, people's experience, not just in Vietnam, but in, you know, the Thai tourist experience is, is in the beach. It really points out how these two are intertwined. The Apocalypse Now and the tourist experience, particularly the, the masculine enterprise of, of gun ranges, um, war tourism sites and even beach tourism, you know, like, like in the, 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 the amazing Leo film. Yeah. So here's a, an Isabel tie in. You've, you've, you've participated in this, uh, 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 apocalypse now themed Philippine tourism. Is that, is that correct? So this is correct. Yeah. Um, so I've been to Belair Aurora, which is, um, did you, you say that was where it was filmed? Yeah, that that the, at least that beach scene, um, the you know the the be, the um, the napalm in the morning scene was was filmed on on Bel Air, which you've correctly uh, indicated is pronounced Bel Air, and I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm wondering too because you were calling it Baylor during the talk, but uh, would other Americans in the 70s that were there were they calling it Baylor? I doubt it. I I think I I just knew it wasn't called Baller. <laughs> but I didn't. Uh, if if it would have had an air, I would have called it Bel Air. <laughs> uh, okay, I was just wondering because sometimes, um, sometimes there'll be an anglicized name for something, mm-hmm. and and uh, and then the pronunciation in the language. Um, but yeah, I've been there and I've been surfing. Mm-hmm. Um, I got lessons. How'd you do? I I didn't do so well, but <laughs> I was really proud of myself when I finally got. Um, to stand up on the board for a few seconds, ride a little tiny wave, <laughs> and then wash out. <laughs> and, you know, it, it's just really fun. And the instructor was really, was really kind about it. You know, <laughs> and they're very patient. And um, I, yeah, I enjoyed it a lot. You, you learned how to surf at Bel Air? Yeah. <laughs> ah. <laughs> I guess you could, would you call that learning how to surf? I don't know. but. First forays, I studied. I studied under a great, um, a great master. Is that what you call? Like apprentice, a Jedi. (laughs) (laughs) Did you surpass the popping up stage? Were you able to ride a wave? Um. Okay. So, what do you define as? Did he did he push you and then you jumped onto it, or did you paddle into the wave? He he held up the board and then like I would step onto it and he'd let go and I would just try to balance and okay. and like uh, ride a little bit. It was very shallow, like close to the shore, and then I would always go under. But I was just trying to stay on as long as possible. Well, that sounds like surfing to me. I think Ke- <laughs> Keanu yeah. Keanu and Point Break would call that surfing. Okay, so, uh, so you guys learned that I'm a surfer today. Okay, yeah. So You're yeah, more add, of a surfer than I am. Add that to your CV. I, I, uh, I had a good uh, uh, six years in Hawaii on the North Shore. So I did, 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 a, did, a, oh. did, a, did a fair amount, uh, but, it's, uh, but it's been a while. That's where we really need to get some outside expertise here. But um, I, another thing that's interesting is the, um, you know, some of the other, uh, the, the, I didn't know, like kind of the elemental alchemy or the I Ching or some of the, the the there there's this it's it's kind of a fascinating um i mean maybe orientalist is too heavy of a but you know like like this kind of like things foreign and mystic mm-hmm. right you know what i'm talking yeah. about like this kind yeah. of like 
um, uh, kind of uh, grabbing at these things that are for for mm-hmm. sort of meaning and I, mean, how, I guess how would you how would you grade their their use of these kind of uh, foreign ideas that uh, in in the film they're trying to appropriate? Yeah, it's it's complex because um, uh, Francis Ford Coppola's wife Eleanor Coppola has a um, a renowned kind of diary of her film experience, and their their marriage was going through troubled times. She was very interested in the I Ching. Um, of course, like many in the 1970s, the I Ching hexagrams and throwing the I Ching was kind of a new age activity. So very much in the uh, yeah. Orientalist mystique category. Uh, yeah, but yeah. the I Ching itself is uh, of significant depth and connection that uh, kind of speaks for itself in terms of these elemental pairings. So it ends up working um, because, you know, the. Well, el- if, if it's trying to be a California film, that's a very right. California yes. like. like- <laughs> We're going to like do these new agey things and it's going to be part of the, yeah. Yeah. And so, but so, um, Francis Ford Coppola's, uh, specific idea to, to think about the four elements in particular, earth, air, fire, water, and play, play these things off each other in the film ends up not being, you know, orientalist per se, because those are such fundamental elements and they're so part of alchemical processes uh, astrological projection, all of these right. processes that are happening for uh, practitioners in, in all of these regions, including the Philippines, but certainly Vietnam or mainland Southeast Asia. But yeah, having said that, I mean, um, when Eleanor Coppola first saw a Mindanao, uh, or I'm sorry, a, um, a, a, a ritual uh, sacrifice of a water buffalo, she called it a, a caribou, not a carabao. And so there is a kind of, and the, the reveling in the, the kind of headhunter um, experience of the, the group uh, pictured in the film is part of this sort of like, yeah, primitivist mystique that meshes with the kind of orientalist leanings of something like I Ching throwing in the 1970s. Um, but yeah, like I said, the, 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 the mythos system itself is deep enough that I think it ends up uh, tapping into, you know, fairly, um, uh, resonant material you know whether it's it's not uh just a a surface level analysis of the interplay of these elements because of the uh the nature of pairing these elements together is how we uh manipulate symbols how we think about reality um and that's um dare i say a universal i was i had a buddhist interpretation as Mm -hmm. well um when you were discussing the life worlds Mm -hmm. and how it can become the deaf world Mm -hmm. And just thinking of these things as being part of the same continuum and and then the rebirth, the baptism of that character. It, is that is that also part of it as well? Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you think like the killing of the king myth is, um, you know, it's sort of in that Joseph Campbell monomyth category that anthropologists love to uh, d- dispute. Uh, to me, I'm, a, I'm kind of a monomyth guy. I, I appreciate that. Uh, set of symbols, I, I see it as, as very broadly uh, apparent um, outside of Europe, outside of North America. And yeah, this, um, this idea of life worlds and death worlds renewed by this, you know, there's these renewal rituals, and those renewal rituals are necessarily pairing those two binary opposites that end up merging, and this continuum of life and death and the renewal rituals that are necessary to make that cycle continuous um, are, have, have broad cross-cultural appeal, you know, and so that speaks to how the film is able to marry together these dis- disparate mythological sources in such a successful way in this local and regional, um, you know, reality of uh, the Philippines as well as a kind of simulated Vietnam and Cambodia. Yeah, another reason is that you have to watch this film is that it, it's... It it purports to be Vietnam, Cambodia. It's filmed in the Philippines, um, and uh, you know, as we were talking, Eric, they, they, you know, they're they're <clears throat> they're informed by um, uh, the the experience of being in the Philippines, and you know, these the the ritual, you know, buffalo slaughter, like they're you know that which makes it into the film. Like they 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 um, they borrow this. This film is as much like a particular um, you know. Uh, Hollywood um, imagination of the Philippines as it is, uh, you know, anything equally that as it is anything else. So it's uh, it's become a historical artifact. 
Okay. You're not going to get away from this movie. <laughs> no, no. I, I'll watch it. I, I will report back. Yeah. It's one of those films where you've seen it before you've seen it. There's this reference so heavily you could almost piece. It's like a Citizen Kane. You can almost piece together the entire film based on its parodies. The Simpsons has Bart yeah, Simpson. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you know, and I'm a huge Simpsons fan, Rose so I'm sure yeah. that I, it will. Yeah, has, I, it's had to have been covered in in Simpsons, right? The Apocalypse Now. Yeah, the um Bart the the camp Camp Krusty episode of The Simpsons <laughs> is like Apocalypse Now, I mean, quite directly, <laughs> where where Bart is uh is Brando, like Bart is uh, Kurtz in that in that episode, and so uh, Kent Brockman is a journalist covering. Uh, this this uh, takeover totally of the camp. It. Totally yeah, it's a it's an apocalypse now parody. Yeah. You know, I I learn about things first from The Simpsons, and then later on, <laughs> I'll see what they were referencing, <laughs> like, and then oh. it will all click, and then I finally get it, and and then I'll watch it again, and I'll realize all of these things that I missed. Mm. Um, like one example is the when Maggie Simpson, um, she was she had the flower, and then like zoomed in on her eye, and it's that commercial. Or was it a commercial? <laughs> but for the Vietnam War, that was um, it, which political candidate was it? Oh, about like uh, like you know, do you want to like a uh, kind of a was it Goldwater? The, the 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 world is ending, and you better like yeah 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 <laughs> yeah. No, it's a uh, duck and cover. There's a, there's a million like or yeah the and all those soundbite moments i mean you've you've heard the horror the horror you've heard the napalm in the morning like there's all of these great soundbite moments that have been parodied quite readily so is there there's this scene when Seymour Skinner he has a flashback to Vietnam and he's like Johnny 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 <laughs> is that from something <laughs> well that probably more broadly i know that they have a a deer hunter uh, uh parody in yeah. the simpsons uh, with Skinner, um, I mean Skinner's POW experience is uh, pretty pretty biting satire when he encounters his um, POW helmet that he uh, specifically with the serial number on it at a military surplus auction, and it's like, wow, I never thought I'd see the old girl again. And he puts it on, and it's this cage for his head, and he goes, then the 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 one armed uh, seller of these uh, of these war tour, uh, you know war memorabilia says. Small world, isn't it? And and Skinner from behind the helmet that was his cage as a POW says, "It is. It really is." Not from Apocalypse Now, but part of Skinner's broader Vietnam experience. Yeah, yeah. which also um, a lot of Simpsons parodies of Full Metal Jacket as well. You know the the Paris Island training scenes. It's like Skinner, um, in many ways, uh, becomes then. You know, just out of out of Kubrick's um, Drill Sergeant. You know, that's the Skinner uh, Skinner parody as well. Yeah, you've ju- you've just if we're gonna have to have a whole, you know, Napalm in the Morning episode about Simpsons, Vietnam. Oh, if <laughs> Vietnam you if you're gonna references. do that, I'll watch all the movies and yeah, I'll be do, ready because I'll I, your, I already have the Simpsons. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I mean, there's there's a, you know there's a million things we could say uh, uh, about it. Go go see it. Uh, um, most importantly, but um, you know we want to keep it too long. But I do want to I do want to ask you about tell us about your more recent uh, and it's a book project right on on Thai policing. Um, um, do you want to maybe put a plug in? What are, tell us what you're working? Well, that's on. A, that's a long standing interest. I mean, that was my dissertation work, and and still really fascinated by the Thai police and police in general. Uh, we have um, to plug anything uh, recently, just today, in fact, was learned that uh, publication of my Phantasmagoria's article uh, on the Thai drug war and in comparison with the Filipino drug war was accepted with Sojourn. Uh, okay. So that'll come out. Thank you. Nice. That's, uh, that's about five years in the making, you know. <laughs> Uh, (laughs) that's what they know, know in the business as, uh, an evergreen article, (laughs) but yeah, that, that one I'm really excited about, um, that, that it's coming, coming to light. Um, and that's a sojourn you said. Yeah. And the direct comparisons between the Thai drug war and the Philippine, the ongoing Philippine anti-drug war, there's so many, um, between a kind of a toxin and, and, um, you know, the, the, the Filipino equivalent is, is, is there a uh, vigilante element um, as heavy in the Thai case as that's, the Philippine? Or that's is that... where it's different is that in the Thai case, it, it ends up not being that different, but in terms of 
what what the killings are who these killings are ascribed to there is this different um mo in the thai case it's yes dealers killing dealers uh and but it was generally midnight uh, or or night um you know um off off duty um military and police you know particularly drug uh drug police you know kind of doing the uh these assassinations in the filipino case uh, very similar, but as- ascribe more to vigilante groups that are also kind of paramilitary police, uh, moonlighting units. So yeah, yeah. I know it, it made mm-hmm. me it made in the same way, almost like you know, and and like the you know the, the killings in sixty five Indonesia, where you know uh, you know all these are individuals committing these acts of violence, which they indeed, indeed were, but the, the 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 close alignment of sort of military providing. Um, uh, lists directions. Um, it's it's it's. I'm guessing that in the tire, the Philippine case, you know, there's uh, there's a there's a continuum of. It's not like, um, and 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 even if the even if they're not directly involved, the government, it's not like they're they're prosecuting these kind of, these, you know, the people who are killing drug dealers. Yeah, in the in the Filipino case, the Davao drug squads and the the people for that. Um, campaign or those sets of campaigns are kind of the the precursor and the national level rollout of uh of a broader drug campaign just as in thailand there was you know 2001 versions of what became the drug campaign of 2003 where it's um you know all sorts of rhetoric the whole thing was kind of rolled out in a smaller version like kind of almost like a a pilot program if you will and so both of those cases are very similar in that way all right, so yeah, check out, uh, check that out, and then are do you? Um, what are some future projects you get you got lined up? For working I want to do more collaborative work with Thai and Cambodian uh, Ramayana based performance uh, oh. of the of the mask type, Lakon Kaol in Cambodia and Khon in in Thailand. I've done a couple of um, uh, soundtrack albums for what I hope to be a collaborative musical, uh, oh, ideally cool. a wire act of of mass theater drama. Uh, Ramayana themes. So, do you so, write? Do you do you write music in in um, sort of a, a Western instrument scale, or or using uh, uh, Thai Cambodian? Yeah, the or, um, the the visual aesthetic is one of uh, Kon and La Kon Kal. For me, yeah. I um, write in in um, a variety of generally Western forms, whether it's uh, opera, waltz, seventies uh, rock, uh, metal, cool. and uh, spoken word stuff. You know, um, so those two albums, I've been able to really interface with that stuff. And, and I, I've always wanted to uh, collaborate with Thai and Cambodian practitioners and have, have done uh, to, to some degrees of success in the past. But that, that'll be the next, you know, major project in Southeast Asia when I'm able to transit the ocean again and, uh, you know, live in another country again. That'll that'll be a beautiful yeah, time. Remember, the, remember that? Remember we used to go remember street places? vendor carts yeah. in Bangkok? Oh, I don't man. remember that. I, <laughs> I haven't I haven't been back since they removed the street vendors. So it's a it's a brave new world over there. But it's been uh, it's it, I'm due. It's time to go. Yeah, that's that's exciting. That um yeah we like keep us in keep us informed. <laughs> That'd be fun to if you uh, um. Some of those see the light of day. Now, your is your is your stuff on Spotify, the the or the some, some your, your other uh, stuff? Bandcamp and SoundCloud. Okay. Um, I I have yet to pay for the 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 Spotify account, but it's it's next up on the line. Okay. Uh, it's it's that leap of like, do I want to pay to produce my own music? Uh, well, see, I haven't done this, that yet. This, this will date this episode, mm-hmm. but what you go to say like, I, I've withheld my music for Spotify. I'm like, I've <laughs> yeah, pulled yeah. it. Oh, there you go. I've pulled it down now. <laughs> I was thinking <laughs> the same thing yeah. too. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm a, a huge Neil Young fan uh, and a huge Joni fan, but uh, yeah, I, I'll. Uh, I'll be setting up that Spotify account yeah, if yeah. I if I have the the money for it. What is <laughs> so, yeah? What is politically okay to do that? How um, much is a Spotify account? There's different, you know, there's different ones, but basically you 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 pay to to have a kind of production uh, venue, you know, and it's it's not much, but it's a one of those yearly fees, you know, one of those like reoccurring yeah. fees, and you're in it, you know, the the second you stop paying it, the the second your music is gone, you know, so. Right, that it's like a, it's 30 a bucks a month or yeah. whatever. Yep. Like it starts to yep. add up yep. over years. Like, And then you're kind of committed. You know, it's like, well, okay. You know, you, yeah, it would and be... you're not really making money <laughs> yeah. off of it. Yep. You're just no. paying so that people can yeah. have it. Versus something like Bandcamp is like completely free and, and quite beautiful aesthetically, but no one goes to. Uh, it's a beautiful way to present an album. But when you look, it's like, 
Right. No one's seeing it's this. It's basically you know, no all musicians yeah. who have their stuff yeah. up there and yeah. not not yeah. no non-musician listeners. So- SoundCloud, a lot of it's from from Cambodia and, Tha- and Thailand specifically. Uh, but yeah. yeah, the band camp is is dead in the water. But it's it's beautiful and it sounds good. Okay, good. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, uh, thanks, Eric, for for joining us and uh, and. Uh, you're not too far away. Don't be a stranger. Come back again. Absolutely. That uh, Apocalypse Now or Sim- Simpsons parody, <laughs> yeah, uh, Vietnam okay. War, uh, yeah. at any, any time. Let's, <laughs> that uh, was that, amazing. That would be, that would be fun. <laughs> yeah. Let's, uh, let's, uh, we could think about how to scheme that up. Um, well, uh, yeah. Join us again, uh, folks, for another episode of Crossroads. And uh, uh, I've been Eric uh, and Izzy. And, and Eric. We'll see I'm you also Eric. <laughs> Thank you for joining us on this episode of Southeast Asia Crossroads. We would like to give thanks to Tantracoon for the use of his track, Electric Can, and a thanks to our audio producer, Amelia McCoy. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you tune in next time.